Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast that you'd do if you didn't have better things to do. Yes. No, Maybe. If you didn't have anything better to do. Well, same difference. I know, same difference. As we say in Maine. Today, as we're sitting here recording this, it's New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And do you know there's an old New Year's saying that the podcast you listened to that was the first one recorded on New Year's Day sets the stage for your whole year. I did not know that thing. It used to be that the first person who comes over your threshold on New Year's Day, if they're a good person, you'll have a good year. If they're a bad person, you'll have Uh-oh. a bad year. But now in 2016, it's whichever podcast that you listen to was reported. Well, I'm glad first. you didn't say this before they actually started listening because I know. they might not want to. Yeah, maybe they just won't believe me. We're going to talk about 2016 and some of the crimes that happened here in Maine. Yeah, well, we thought about doing like just like an overview of crimes. But there's so Maine. much stuff. There was a lot of stuff, and we didn't have a good list because Available. the year's not over. But one thing we want to say about Maine is that it has a very low crime rate, and Murder it generally rate, yeah. has... And crime and crime rate in general. It generally has 20 to 25 murders a year. There were 23 last year. That's been steady. There haven't been more than 25 in more than a decade. We don't know how many there were in 2016. They haven't compiled the stats, but it looks like it's about... I think it's about that. I'm not sure. Most of them... More than half. More than half are domestic violence Domestic violence crimes, which is kind of sad. And then there are quite a few that are just low-life people (laughs) drinking and doing drugs together and getting getting some kind of a fight and kill right. each other. Or only maybe related. like I remember we were looking at 2015 stats and only maybe one or two were stranger crimes. And, and we, even those would be in someone burglarizing a home or something right. like that. Mistaken identity, yeah. burglarizing a home where they think drugs may be or And it's funny, I'm a member of the Maine Crime Writers blog where Maine Crime Writers blog, blog. <laughs> and we often talk about at our events and things like that how there's so few murders in Maine, and yet there are so many fictional ones. Yeah. And they're always, the fictional ones, of course, are always mysterious and interesting and not just sad domestic yeah. violence or drug-related. But the reality in Maine is there's so few murders, but if you are murdered, you're likely to be murdered by someone who professes to love you. Yes, and a lot of times it's your husband. Yes, or Our significant boyfriend. other, or and there's a lot of children. Father, a lot of children. Very get few of them are, are. I mean, the percentage of murders. Right, and I can't remember how many there were this year, but in 2011, in a 10-day period, first there was Nathaniel Gordon in Winslow chased his wife down the street oh, in front yeah. of his kids and shot her, and oh, he later shot God. himself after a police chase. Then Stephen Lake, about a week later, killed his estranged wife Amy. And there are two kids, Monica and Cody, oh. who were 13 and 12. And then he killed himself. I always wonder why these guys just don't go ahead and kill yeah, themselves. Yeah, no, can't they just kill themselves and leave the family dead? And after that, the mayor of Waterville, Karen Heck, and both of those communities were near Waterville, gave one of the best quotes I've heard about it. They had a big rally. Well, it actually wasn't big. Only about 75 people showed up, much fewer than showed up for all the vigils, candlelight vigils. But it was to try to get men involved in the issues surrounding domestic violence and domestic violence murders. Well, they're already pretty much involved. And she, and she said, my Sorry. name is Karen Heck, and I called this press conference because I'm sick and tired of waking up in the morning to news that more women and children have been killed by men who were supposed to have loved them. Since then, it doesn't appear that Maine's domestic violence no. 
In fact, there was that other one last year where the guy killed his girlfriend and her two kids. Uh, uh, and then I mean, there was the one in Saco like, a couple of years ago where the guy killed his wife. And, and two kids. No, I think it was three or four kids. Oh, maybe it was Yeah, three. that was a huge one. That, yeah. that was the year that of the domestic violence murders mm. in the state, more than half of the people yes, killed were kids. kids. Yes, Mostly because horrible. of that guy in Saco and... Sure. But in Anyways. any case, on that note, 2016 started with a death mm-hmm. that ended up being an aggravated OUI, but was initially, because of a plea bargain, but was initially a um, homicide. Tommy Clark was driving on New Year's Day early in the morning and hit Taylor Gaborny, who was walking to her parents' house. He hit her. He had a couple passengers, women, in his car. She went over an embankment of snow. He got out of the car, looked, determined that she was dead, and Hmm. took off and was later arrested. And that's how 2016 started. She was initially reported missing, and then... Her body was found, and it was determined she was killed by a hit and run. That but was it was all weird over the for weekend. For a few hours, she was she was determined missing, but they were also trying to identify the girl that had the, been hit because right. I think one of the passengers that was in Farmington, which is out in Franklin County, and he pleaded guilty to the lowered charge of aggravated DWI and was convicted and sent to prison. Her parents weren't very happy about that development, but that's how 2016 started on yes. a. On an unhappy note, and it and became an unhappy year, particularly for women and we related did. to men who are inclined to kill them. Well, and I just want to say that we did not set out to do a show about domestic violence murders. We just both picked murders. Homicides. Homicides, I'm sorry. They're homicides. not murders until somebody's been convicted. Okay. Ms. Yes, you're right. That's, yeah, that's a good just, point. Thank, thank you. you. So homicides. But we both picked, we were talking about which ones we were going to do without, we didn't consult each other before we went through them. And the ones we picked were domestic violence situations. And the reason we picked the ones we picked... Because they were, let's just say, the most most interesting ones. Ones where some guy bursts into another guy's house and shoots him because they have a drug dispute. Or they're drinking all day and then they start fighting about about who's the better carny or something. (laughs) Right. So, Becky, why don't you start with yours? And mine was at the beginning of the year. Mine was in January at about 6 a.m. on Thursday, January 14th, 2016. Noah Gaston, age 33, says he heard noises downstairs at his Wyndham home, Wyndham, Maine. All of these are Maine murders. And Wyndham, oh, just to, to just to give people geographic. It's a little bit uh, west northwest of, of, of Portland. Portland. It's probably about 15 miles. Northwest. It's near Sebago Lake for those who know Maine by its vacation yes. resort areas. Yes. So he says he heard noises downstairs. The noises sounded like, this is a quote, walkie-talkies and things moving around. He checked on his children, a boy age two and daughters eight and nine, still asleep in the beds across the hall, grabbed his gun and went to confront the intruder. He fired at this person from the top of the stairs. The intruder was either at the bottom of the stairs or halfway up depending on the version he told. He shot her in the abdomen. The bullet perforated her aorta, killing her. This intruder was his wife Alicia, age 34. He called 911 to report the shooting. According to Noah, his marriage was happy. He and Alicia rarely, if ever, fought and had not fought on the day of her death. Whoop, shot his wife, though. Yes. But, according to a 14-page police affidavit filed almost a month after the incident, reality was much different than Noah's version. Friends, fellow church members, former co-workers, and even the two older children were interviewed. 
Neither of the Gastons neither of the Gastons were working at the time of Alicia's death. Alicia was a stay-at-home mother who homeschooled the two daughters. The boy was two, so obviously. I don't know what Noah did, but what he wanted to do was start a commune of artists so he would have more time for his music. Mm. He wanted to live off the land. Do we know what kind of music he played? No. And I, mean, I also, guess it was like some kind of new agey crap. I was thinking it was. Or metal. Maybe it was religious music. That could be. He was a churchgoer. He wanted to live off the land. He thought he was a prophet, and according to a friend, he often initiated unorthodox theological conversations, which I don't really know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what an orth- unorthodox theological conversation I guess any theological conversation that didn't match your own beliefs would be considered unorthodox to you. I guess so. Not I, to you, but. And at the time of, of this happened, I read where he had worked previously, but I couldn't find that. But he was not working, so. He reportedly blamed Alicia for standing in the way of his dreams. Oh, that ball and chain. He also complained that he wasn't satisfied with her sex life. She mm. wasn't adventurous Oh, uh, You know what? I bet he wanted to do three songs. You know what? You know what that means to me is he sucks as a lover. Yep. Alicia, on the other hand, was constantly fretting about money and worrying about paying the bills. On the morning of her death, three minutes before she was shot, as a matter of fact, she called the State of Maine Automated Helpline for Electronic Benefits Transfer, which is food stamps and stuff like that, and found out that their benefits balance was at zero. Wow, three minutes before she was shot. Uh, they know, I don't know how they know that. Well, That must have been the walkie-talkie sounds no. he heard. <laughs> they know it from her call and from his call to nine. The eight-year-old daughter told... This eight-year-old daughter talked quite a bit. I don't know. The nine-year-old didn't seem to say anything. Was the nine-year-old a boy? No. There's two daughters. I told you. Oh, my God. Sorry. The eight-year-old daughter told... No. (laughs) Police that her parents, in fact, often argued, and I quote... Sometimes you hear it seven times a week, and sometimes you hear it once or one time a month. That sounds like quite a bit to me. Yeah. She was interviewed the day after the shooting. She told police she heard her parents yelling in their scared voices. Mm. That was her quote. The morning of January 14th. She says she heard the baby gate falling and, quote, yelling. Hear my mom yell sort of more. My dad yelled louder. They got louder. Then I hear someone tumble down the stairs. Hmm. She's a good witness. Yes. Well, yeah, but you'll see what happens later. She told detectives when she opened her bedroom door, she saw the gun on the hallway floor and said, it was very stinky like a weird smell in the air. A smell she described as mixed with a little blood and smoke. Hmm. All of these quotes are from an affidavit written by Maine State Police Detective Ethel Ross, by the way. Friends picked up Noah Gaston at the Wyndham Police Station later in the day of his wife's shooting after an interview with police. One friend said he was very calm and told them of a song he had written the day before. Hmm. The lyrics refer to a bang and children plugging their ears. Wow. And and his wife being shot. Yeah. And falling well, in February, he was denied bail, which isn't unusual in Maine for a murder case. No, and we'll have to ask Matt Nichols one of these times he's here to describe a harness hearing, which is where the oh yeah the the state asks the court to waive the person's constitutional right to bail, and there's some very strict restrictions on that. And yet it seems to happen all the time. Yes. Judge Michaela Murphy did not accept police findings that the eight-year-old daughter heard arguing that morning. I remember that at the time reading that in the paper and thinking that was weird, but I think she just didn't think there was enough 
I don't know, really. What, I don't either. Why she... That, I was confused by that. In May, he pled not guilty. And although the judge had ordered him held without bail, she ruled that bail could be an option later. The trial is tentatively scheduled for March of 2017. The last thing I read said a judicial settlement conference was supposed to happen in November, but I couldn't find anything about that. We wouldn't necessarily Yeah, we know. wouldn't know. It's a conference, so... It's not But obviously public. nothing has changed. I mean, he hasn't... A plea agreement or anything... Right. Right. still in jail from what I understand but one thing that strikes me about this is again something we've talked about before we talked about last week with John Benet Ramsey the accused murderer or potential murderer cooking up a not really plausible intruder theory and again I always think people are so they spend so much time listening to alarmist 24-hour news cycle type news that they think intruders are constantly going into people's house and killing them. So the police are going to buy this thing, like the whole he heard the sound of walkie-talkies, like to oversell it, to give it this mysterious... Also, well, it's like at 6 a.m., your wife probably gets up early to make breakfast for the kids every day or whatever because they're about to get up. Why the fuck? Well, now one thing I didn't say in my story, and I know that I read a lot of articles about it when it first came out, and he had said he thought his wife was still in bed sleeping next to him. He didn't, so he had that in his mind, supposedly. But kind of an Oscar Pistorius type. Yeah, it issue. was. It is. Oh and my my! The person I share a bed with must be here beside me, even though I don't feel them or see them. So I'm just going to go shoot this other thing because even though I have other people in the house, like in this case, three, three little, little kids. kids. It can't possibly be one of those. I know. It must be he, an intruder. Well, he checked on them, he says. Right. But if he did check on them, he would see that they had been, they were actually awake and here listening to the argument that he was having with his wife about the fact that he's a deadbeat. And, and they don't have any money yeah. to feed their three kids. I could find as much information, but from, I seem to remember that they were somehow religious or in some way involved with the church where it was more of a traditional relationship where she stayed home with the kids and that uh, but I can't remember exactly I, I couldn't find it when and, I was looking it up but and I'm certainly not criticizing anyone male or female who stays home with their kids I think that's a good thing well, a lot of if cases one does the other one's got to get off their ass right. and work somebody's got to bring Buddy. home the bacon and yeah. not where your freaking dream of being a musician and having this commune isn't gonna fly right. you know what he probably wanted to have one of those situations where he was like David Koresh and then all these women and people would be working and he could just sit around doing his fucking and, music. And I have to feel that, and I have no nothing to base this on except for decades of personal experience mm -hmm. and reading, but I have to feel his desire to be more adventurous and sex was actually he wanted to have threesomes or group sex and oh, she they wasn't think interested. they want that but then they realize they can barely satisfy one woman and they're not going to be able to satisfy two. And so that supports your theory of the cult you know yes. and he or like Charlie Manson who was a musician yes. and wanted to create music and also although he did spark had a, some talent supposedly spark but. a worldwide race war there's a very, not to get on a tangent, but there's a very interesting book by, about one of the Beach Boys. 
Yes, because by Mike Love, Dennis Wilson was friends with Charlie, or was acquaintances. Right, and Charlie had played a song for Dennis Wilson, and Dennis struggled with telling Charlie the song wasn't that good. And there's more to that. We can talk about that some other time. Maybe celebrity, celebrity. That that man's interesting, and also one of them can't think of her name. She keeps coming up for parole. Patty Krenwinkel. She was just up the other day. She's the longest serving woman in a California prison right now. She's never going to get out. No, because she murdered the shit out of both. She I'm chased sure. what's her, the Folger oh, woman God. at the Sharon Tate Those murder, so chased her down and stabbed her to death, and then was also big in the Lo Biancos. Uh, but we can talk about the Manson murders some, yes, other, day. some other day. And so maybe anyways. celebrity connections to the Manson murders. Yes, which it's very interesting. So back to, to Noah Gaston. You know, buddy, frickin' leave your wife or whatever. She'd be better off without you. You don't need to fucking shoot her. And this is a case... He hasn't been found guilty yet, but this is... Oh, okay, yes. Our speculation, but... Again, this is another case where the story that was made up, and this probably wasn't premeditated, although it's yet another Mainer with a loaded gun in the house, and I believe the kids, and I believe... Yeah. And his story... And the, you know, the sad thing is, though, too, the, the, these domestic... The thing that really bothers me about these domestics, and it happens over and over and over again, is when one parent kills the other one, then the kids have nobody. Right. I mean, and then also these kids witnessed it, pretty much. The two older girls, they're going to remember that the rest of their I lives. I think that... Don't tell me they were sleeping. I would say in any murders where one parent kills another and there are children in the family any thought that goes into the whole thing is about the murder and how to cover it up and how to do yes. it although i don't think a lot of thought went into this until after it happened Dumbass. and then of course he comes up with the intruder intruder killed the and person the, well the and like the police were just like there's no way he wouldn't have for oh and the other thing i did not i did not mention he said i said at the beginning that he said that she was either at the bottom of the stairs or halfway up. But the evidence, the blood splatter, they said, and the uh, ballistics evidence, the evidence on her body showed that she, it was at close range when he fired. So she was probably right in front of him at the top of the stairs. And the cops were like, there is no way he he could not have recognized his own wife. It was six in the morning. Yes, it's kind of dark at, at, in January at six in the morning, but... It is dark. But still. Because that's what time I get to work. Why would you assume? You say, hey, who are you? And she would have said, it's me. Or I'm going to call the cops. I have a gun. I'm going to call the cops. That's what I would say, even though I don't have a gun. Or just shoot away. I just shoot people. But that backs up the eight-year-old story, whether you want to believe an eight-year-old or not. And her story sounds plausible to me, that she heard somebody tumbling down the stairs. And I give that kid a lot of credit for telling a good story, you know, a, a much more plausible story than daddy's about what she heard and saw how that horrible. morning. horrible. No matter how crappy your dad is. We'll probably have an update episode somewhere we in a, a few months yes. just to update on we all We can have our a retrospective on our, <laughs> right. our huge you know, our canon body of, of yes. work here. Okay. And mine is another domestic violence, which we already, where the fella came up with a story that just wasn't that plausible. In fact, he came up with a couple. Another young guy. This guy was 32, Luke Tiemann. And that's Luke, the one we're familiar with in northern New England, L-U-C. Yes, like like Lucian. On September 9th, Valerie Tiemann's parents in North Carolina reported their 34-year-old daughter missing. They had not heard from her since a Facebook exchange nearly a month before. Valerie Tiemann was 34 and lived in Fairfield, Maine, which is just outside of Waterville. Mm -hmm. 
She lived with her husband of two years, Luke. He was originally from the Waterville, Maine area. He had gone to Messalonsky High School in oh. Oakland, Maine, which is the next town over, where he met his first wife, Erin Marin, who figures in the story a little later. Okay. After Valerie was reported missing, Luke told police that he last saw her August 30th at the Walmart in Skowhegan. He'd gone into the store while she waited in his pickup truck. When he came out, she was gone, and he assumed she'd just taken off with another man. Because that's pretty Because that's what you, you think, would do. I mean, I'll be sitting in the car, and some cute guy comes up and says, Hey, you want to go away right. with me? And, I'll, sure. and I just want to say, by all accounts, she was a very sweet, nice woman. She was involved in, she had a lot of friends. She was involved in the community. She didn't have a job. It, it isn't clear what she did. They lived with Luke's parents. She was a nice, sweet, friendly woman. They didn't have any kids. He had four kids from a previous marriage who lived with Aaron in Texas. He didn't have contact with them, though he had been trying to reconnect over the past couple months. And Aaron and Valerie had actually struck up kind of an online friendship because Valerie was a nice enough person. She was actually interested in getting Luke reconnected with his kids. This is according to an interview the Morning Sentinel Mm -hmm. newspaper in Waterville did. So Luke said... The last time he saw her, he went into Walmart, Valerie waited in the truck, and then when he came out, she was gone. And he just assumed she had taken off with another man, gotten in the truck, and drove away. And what this reminded me of was something that happened here in Maine back in the 80s that I've always been intrigued by. And that was a guy from Massachusetts, and I'm going to go on a little tangent here. But Frank and Virginia, yes, and this, but it's germane because I'm not, I don't care. I'm not judging. Thank you. It's because it made me think of it. And so if it made me think of it. It made me think of it. It made a lot of people think of it. Made a lot of people think of it. All of us older folks. Although I'm sure Luke Tiemann didn't think of it. It might have been in the back of his mind, though. It's a coincidence. Well, it happened in 1988, and Luke would have been, you can do the math, but he would have been. Young. He's 32, so he would have been a toddler, maybe? Yeah, whatever. I can't do the math. You, you guys math. you guys yeah. out there can figure it out. Virginia and Frank Douglas, he was a retired banker, bank hmm. vice president, and they lived in Lexington, Massachusetts, which is a nice, a nice spot. Place. Took a spontaneous, quote-unquote, drive up the main coast. They stopped at the Rennies in Belfast, Maine, yeah. so Virginia I could use the well. bathroom. And that's where Route 3 and Route 1 collide. And if you're going up, say, to Acadia National Park or down East Maine, particularly back then when there were fewer exits and mm-hmm. the highway wasn't as long, you would get off Route 95 in Augusta and you'd take Route 3 East mm-hmm. to Belfast and then get on Route 1. Yeah. Virginia never came out of the store, never came out of Rennie's, which is a main adventure, by the way. Rennie's a main adventure. And yeah. they don't um, pay to advertise. Rennie's, I am yes. wearing, right now, everything I'm wearing is from Rennie's. Wow. Uh, well, That's, okay, this, the shirt's from L.L. Bean. The sweatshirt's from Rennie's. The shirt's from L.L. Bean. But normally I'd be wearing a flannel shirt from Rennie's. Yeah, I love Rennie's. And it is a main adventure. It is. But they don't pay to advertise on the show. But maybe they will. Maybe they will after hearing. (laughs) I'm just going to read a little bit from the Charlie Project website, which is one of the few websites that gathers missing people information from all over the country, and it's a great resource. But it said, Frank stated that Virginia entered the department store and never returned. 
He claimed that he searched the mall and parking lot for his wife. And the mall there is just one of those little strip malls. It's not a mall, yeah. It's, it's got Rennie's and a couple little stores back in 1988 and probably isn't much different from it is now maybe a bank and yeah, a nail place yeah. and a sub shop. It's not a mall like you'd expect. No. It's, he stopped to ask other shoppers if they had seen her. <laughs> no witness, quote, in the mall, unquote, could positively identify Virginia as having been inside the shopping center that evening. Frank then purchased woman's lingerie in his wife's size at Rennie's, resuming his search shortly after. Why? Um, alibi to sh- prove she was in the store. This was 1988, oh, so it, everything yeah. wasn't yeah, necessarily... so it would say that she she bought it. Or it would right. Be whatever. Okay. He returned to the store approximately an hour later and purchased additional lingerie items, telling the clerk it was, quote, an omen for Virginia's return. Whatever. Virginia has never been seen again. Authorities discovered Frank's purchases in Virginia's suitcase after beginning their investigation into her disappearance. Extensive searches by investigators and the Douglas family throughout the Maine and Massachusetts coastlines for Virginia produced no evidence as to her whereabouts. Authorities began to question several parts of Frank's version of events after being unable to locate his wife. They asked why he stopped at a shopping center to allow Virginia to use the restroom when a McDonald's yeah, so was down the street. Yeah, so McDonald's right down the, across and down I have the eaten there many times. Me too. And would have been more convenient. Frank claimed that Virginia preferred to visit department store restrooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Authorities searched the Rennie. Douglas residence no in Massachusetts and discovered a piece of carpet with stains of Virginia's mm-hmm. blood type present, as well as a clump of her hair under a doorstep. Yeah. Many of Virginia's family members told investigators that she was meticulous about closing their residence when they traveled, yet the refrigerator was fully stocked and the shades were open over Labor Day. This happened on Labor Day weekend. The Uh shades were open over Labor Labor Day weekend. It would have been very uncharacteristic of Virginia to leave her home in such a state if she planned to travel. In addition, one of Frank and Virginia's children was arriving from out of state at approximately 9.30 p.m. on September 2nd, the day Virginia allegedly vanished from the main restroom. Frank stated that the couple departed from Massachusetts at 8.30 p.m., leaving no chance for either of them to welcome their child. Hmm. Relatives said that Virginia never would have left the state without warning her visiting child. No one has been charged in connection with Virginia's case, but two of the three Douglas children refused to speak to Frank after she disappeared. They believed he was involved in her disappearance, though he denied it. Many investigators believe that Virginia never vanished from Maine, but that she was murdered at her home in Massachusetts and then buried. Virginia's children held a memorial service for her in Florida in November 1988. Frank died sometime after her disappearance. Her case remains unsolved. Foul play is suspected due to the circumstances. This is another case of the guy thinking about his plan, but not thinking of the obvious things like, Virginia would never leave when one of the kids was coming. Well, because men are, they don't pay attention. Right, they don't. For instance, a lot of men who say who whose wives quote unquote disappear and left with another man. Right, but these wives say lots of times these wives have sisters. Now we know maybe you'll leave the guy, but you're gonna call your sisters and tell them all about it. Things like that. Uh, women call usually we like sisters. We call our mothers. We don't just leave and never contact our family. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what. I think that a lot of men are. They they think they, about the plan. It's just like Noah Gaston and other people. They think about the plan, or in his case, you know, he thought about it after the fact. But they don't think about the little things. Yes. And I don't know if it's because they're not paying attention to the little things or if they think about, you know, it's hard to think about a murder plan and think of all the aspects. And I think you think about the plan. I'm 
speculating because I've never had to kill anyone or think about a plan, but you think about the plan, but you don't think about all these little aside things yeah. that other people are going to think one about. Thing, well, one thing leads to, you know, one qu- questions will lead to other questions, and if it's not the truth, then you have to cover a lot of You have bases. to cover a lot of more bases. In Noah Gaston's case... Noah Gaston underestimated his children. I think he did. I He strikes me as somebody who maybe thinks he's smarter than everyone else. Yeah. I think, too, when you're thinking about it after the fact, as Noah Gaston did, as Luke Tiemann did, but not as... Frank Reynolds did. You have to try to cover and, you know, cover up what you already did, think about the plan after you've done it, or allegedly did, I should say, because they neither have been convicted. But it's harder to come up with a plan. And so we get back to Luke Tiemann, who, yes. when we were last with him, had told police he'd gone into the Walmart in Skowhegan. She waited in the truck. He came out. She was gone. He assumed she had run off with another man. And merrily went home and never really talked he about it to anyone. And he didn't. He did not report her missing. Right. Her, her parents did, and it would have been about ten days, yeah, ten nine days or ten days later, after yes. after he claimed to have last seen her. But police didn't buy his story, oh, especially after they checked the parking lot video from the store and didn't see any evidence that his truck had ever been oh. in the parking lot where he said it was. And they checked about ten days worth yes, of tape. Yeah. On September 20th, they found her body partially buried in the woods near the house in Norwich Walk. I mean, in Fairfield, it was on Norwich Walk. And why did they, do you know why they just looked? I think they were were searching. They were using cadaver dogs in the woods. It was the cadaver dogs from the main warden service that found her body. It was partially buried. Also buried with her body was a bottle of perfume, a bag of potato chips, and what's described in news accounts as, quote, a note of apology. Hmm... Aww. He uh, he. at some point after they found the body, and apparently when they first found the body, he vehemently denied it was her, but it was proven to be her, Idiot. so then he said, oh yeah, okay, I guess it is her. And he changed the Walmart story and said that he she actually died of a heroin overdose, even though none of her friends or family had any indication she was involved in drugs at all. He said she was a drug addict and that he had watched her overdose and die, This is according to the police Mm -hmm. affidavit. He said when she OD'd, she, quote, smiled at him, stopped breathing. Very sweet death, like Beth and Little Women or something, you know, very angelic, sweet death. And left her in her bed for the night. The next day, he dug the trench in the woods and buried her inexplicably with the perfume and potato chips. And a note of apology. And a note of apology. Maybe because he felt, you know, sometimes people do weird things when they've killed somebody that they care about. For instance, I've read about the JonBenet Ramsey killing, you know, she was She's wrapped in that blanket. Like, you know, yeah. And a lot of investigators say that the wrapping her in the blanket, her nightgown was nearby, her yes, favorite nightgown her favorite was nearby. Nightgown, yes. Even though she hadn't been wearing it, she was wearing long johns yes. and, a, and a shirt. A lot of people who kill someone they're related to or care about then do wrap them up or cover their face mm-hmm. or do odd things that, it's not like they're even thinking about it. It's not like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And a lot of times it tells the profilers and people, somebody yes. who cared about this person, either killed them or was involved with the well, body. Well, the thing about, like, when someone kills somebody that they're that they're in a relationship with, they're close to, and people are like, well, he was distraught or she was distraught, 
Well, you would not a black and white thing. You're not like a cold-blooded killer that just kills somebody and you don't care. You feel bad. You would feel bad. And also, it's a traumatic thing. If you kill one person in your life, that's pretty unusual. So you would be distraught. You know, even if you're guilty of doing it, even if you planned it, you right. might be distraught. You would cry and be I, distraught. Right. So I, I think your narcissism level, like maybe if you're Scott Peterson... Or Drew Peterson, you know, of the Peterson class of wife I killers. Know. What is with that? I know. You may not be distraught. You may be relieved or giddy or whatever. But I think most normal people would be, especially if you do it kind of in the heat of the moment, yes. like if Noah Gaston killed his wife. Mm-hmm. He did. Like, Luke Tiemann may or may not have. But the thing about Luke Tiemann is that his ex-wife told the Morning Sentinel he was abusive. He has one small criminal violation in Maine that doesn't have anything to do with any of that. Wasn't he also, like, putting the moves on people? I'll get to that. Okay. She wouldn't tell the Morning Sentinel in what state it was in. There's no record in Maine of him being abusive. She said police are aware of it. And again, she lived in Texas. It's not clear where he lived. He and Valerie got married in South Carolina and Mm -hmm. moved to Fairfield subsequently. She said he had been sweet in high school. This is Aaron Marin, his, Hmm. his first wife. But he changed. And his friend's told the Morning Sentinel that he'd been unfaithful and he apparently told other women who he quote-unquote sought out that his marriage was ending. There was a quote in one of the articles, wasn't there, where her friend had called her the day of the murder. Someone had said to her, he's hitting on me or something, and he texted or or said to the friend, thanks a lot, I just got her calmed down and now (laughs) you got her going again. Yes, that's true. <laughs> but apparently he didn't tell this friend, or, or she didn't tell this friend or anyone else. She was a drug addict who liked to use heroin. And you know that guy in Saco that killed his his wife and three kids a couple of years ago told everyone she was a heroin addict, which there was no evidence of that. And it's another case of I'm going to make her look bad, yeah. and everybody's going to believe it, even though her friends and family say it's not true. But the bottom line is... You know, it doesn't matter if someone's on drugs. This woman wasn't the one in Saco, apparently wasn't. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Yeah. Killing them and then <laughs> lying about it to police is not an option. No. You know, there are things regular people do, like get a divorce. Yeah, I know. And if you like, want to mess what around is with the deal, just I can't. Leave. Can you understand? Can I mean, you envision the world where? Rather than getting a divorce, it's like, I'm instead, I think I'm going to kill this person and come up with a plan that's going to fool police and her friends and family and everybody else and happily live the rest of my life the way I want to, fooling around with other women and <sighs> drinking and carousing and living in my parents' cellar. Well, apparently it's pretty common if you watch, like, 48 Hours in Dateline. It is. People are killing their partners left and, and right. And Frank Douglas, too, although that happened in 1988, so it's not part of our 2016 scenario, but he... Scenario. He came up with an elaborate plan that actually involved driving all the way up to Belfast, Maine, and he didn't fool anybody. And he was never convicted, but he, but he, so there wasn't any legal justice in that case. But there, there was emotional justice because once they had, nobody believed him. His kids never talked to him again. Yeah, he had been a prominent vice president of a bank yet. Instead of having a happy retirement, he lived the rest of his life 
under this cloud of suspicion. And I can't imagine you could go through one minute of your yeah. day, no matter how narcissistic you were. Even if you're a narcissist, it messes up your life mm -hmm. to have people look at you like you're a killer. Yeah. And I don't think they envision living in this emotional prison either. Look at the Ramses. I know. You know, whatever their sins were or weren't, they lived Patsy for 10 years yes. and John Ramsey's still around. It ruined their lives. And as we said last week, Burke Ramsey, the son, was nine years old. And he's now almost 30. He turns 30 sometime in January. And his life stopped that night. I know. Through no fault of his own, really, because whatever he may or may not have done, he, he, is a kid. he was a kid. So our third main homicide of 2016 that we're going to talk about is a little different because the guy didn't try to cover it up. It was pretty clear he did it, and I chuckle a little, haha, in my journalist way when news accounts say he allegedly did it because, come on. The the short version is Dan Randall, a minister, got out of a 90-day alcohol treatment program, bought a gun either that day or a day or two later, depending which news no, account. No, it said it was, oh yeah. I saw on Channel 6, everybody had been reporting that he got out on Thursday, bought a gun, and went out. Yes. But then the place he got out of said that was wrong and that he had actually gotten out Tuesday. Oh. And it's funny, nobody picked that up, but Channel 6, and that's WCSH in Portland, reported a couple days after this happened, we have a correction or oh, something. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Yes. We've been saying, but yeah, every news account still says he got yeah, out Yeah, he Thursday. got out at 10 a.m. and went and shot. Well, he went and bought a gun. Yeah. Maine has very lax gun laws. He it's drove to Hebron, went to the house he had been kicked out of by his soon well not soon to be ex-wife because he ended up dead after all this but his estranged wife anita she wasn't home but his daughter claire from his first marriage anita's stepdaughter and claire was 27 27 was in the house he shot her to death he spray painted things all over the house anita this is your fault that that type of thing and then shot himself and vow breaker Vow breaker, he called her. That was on the counter. That comes they out. They didn't of, say what the other things were. Anita, though. who wasn't home at the time, had called a neighbor and asked him, Mr. Daggett. Carol Daggett, yes. A, a real nice main name right there. Yeah. To check on Claire because she hadn't heard from her and she was concerned. And it doesn't go into a lot of detail, but my guess is her concern was that she knew Dan was getting out of yeah. rehab. And she was worried. He went into the house, saw the spray painting. It's not clear really what else he saw, but he called the police. He saw Dan on the porch, dead. He did see that. And then he went in the house and saw Vow Breaker. And then he called the police. And then the police found Claire in the bathroom. Shot to death. And this yes. was his daughter from his first marriage. Who was Although he? she's 27, so she was probably only like four. He married Anita in 1994. Shortly so after the Anita death. was basically yeah, her mom. Her mom. The interesting aspect of this that Randall's first wife, Greta, had died mm -hmm. in Maine in 1993. They had gone to Two Light State Park in Cape Elizabeth, which is near where we live. Yes, it's, it's a rocky, beautiful coast. It's very rocky. It's, they had gone on a rainy 4th of July and had a picnic with the kids. And I've seen some news accounts call into account that it was weird to have a picnic, but I can remember Memorial Day one year we went to Reed State Park and it was overcast and cold and misty and rainy. Hey, you we can have anyway. a picnic. You have a picnic. Right, get those kids out of the house. It's a holiday, damn it. But she slipped on the rocks. She was pregnant with their son hit her head and died, which is plausible. It is plausible. The baby died a he few was, days after. She was like six months pregnant. 
It said, yeah, the next day or the day, yeah. Claire was her daughter, and they had another daughter, Molly. Molly. So he married Anita in Arizona mm-hmm. in 1994. And came back to Maine. So that wasn't long I mean, after. came back to New England. He was Then they he was went to New- Lee, New Hampshire, and then right. he went to Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Yeah. It didn't take him long after Greta died. It never takes them long to find a new wife. At the time Greta died, he was the minister at the UCC church in Saco, which was right next to the apartment house yes, you and I lived I in. And then and the church burned down in 1984. The church burned right, down. Right, the beautiful old church burned down and they built this fairly ugly weird, giant. But it's weird giant. Looking, it's I mean, giant, the other huge. church was giant too. Though. So we had lived there 10 years before. Yeah, well, 10 years before. So. <laughs> Another roommate of ours in that apartment was yes. Bob Bucati, the Pulitzer Prize winning photographer. Yes, maybe we, we can interview him. For associate, maybe we can. Oh, and we're just saying that to show we know somebody famous two lights you know it's a beautiful beautiful place but it's all it's rock a lot of rock crashing waves you could easily hurt yourself you could badly easily. and there. it's a tourist magnet there's a lobster shack it's not really a lobster shack but that's not in the state park that's in the other part the, the other state part parks the state park has the rocky stuff but the actually lighthouses are not in the state that's a little known fact and there are two lighthouses <laughs> there are two and lighthouses. Who knows, for that's all we know two lights for all we know maybe they were at the part where the lobster shack is instead of where the lighthouse oh that were. could be they could be wrong because be. if you've never been on the main coast there are big giant Rocks. Smooth. They're, but they're also like crevasses in between them. If I were six months pregnant, I wouldn't be climbing on them. A Newtown manager in Dover, New Hampshire, or somewhere like that, and they had just moved here from Utah or Colorado or one of those states that landlocked states that don't have a rocky coast. And he went with his kids, and this was like the first weekend they moved here to somewhere on the main coast. And one of his kids got washed in by a wave because the waves are big and strong. And he jumped in to save her. And I can't remember if they both died or the kid died. And there was another one where it was a there was a storm out to sea and there were high waves. And a guy was with it's a horrible story. A guy was with his daughter at Thunder Hole in Acadia. This was like 2010, right? And she got swept away. That Can may you have been, imagine? I can't even yes, imagine. If that's the same one, 2010 or maybe the summer of 2011, and the rangers at Acadia National Park, which is up, it's down east, were telling people to stay away from the rocks and, and that the waves were dangerous, and people just kept going back and back. And it's, it's pretty cool to, to see these big waves. And but. I think people underestimate the power. I mean, it's happened to me at the ocean. You're up high, a giant wave, <laughs> you'll get soaked. You know, it is avoidable. What kind of death is avoidable? Being shot. Being shot by a family member. Well, and sometimes it's not for poor Claire. Right. It? No more avoidable than the waves you of the know, ocean. Again, if you're shoot climbing. yourself, dickhead. Investigators are looking back at Greta Randall's death. Yes. They don't think there is anything suspicious about it. There was nothing determined at the time to be suspicious. But as one of them pointed out, given the fact he just killed his daughter and then himself, and he was obviously a violent, homicidal person, at least at this point, even though he was a churchgoer and minister, we're going to look back at that investigation. I think the Portland Press-Herald has asked to see those records in a public records request, but now they're not being given them because it's a quote-unquote active investigation. Yes. I don't know why I said quote-unquote, but it's an active <laughs> investigation. Sometimes I wonder if that is used to keep news yes. outlets from oh, getting records. I'm sure it is. I don't know who 
law enforcement thinks they're protecting because he's dead. I don't know. She's dead. A bigger danger is law enforcement and the courts using reasons like that to keep information secret because the more transparency on how they do their jobs and what happens and the more access the press can have and the press is what whatever people would like to believe is ethical and is looking at things like that not to be exploitive or gratuitous kind of like we are exploitive and gratuitous yeah we are but But we're not the press Right, so. to tell the story so that people know not only where their tax dollars are going, but can, people can be assured, or maybe not assured, that constitutional rights are being upheld in yeah. criminal investigations. You can't, someone has to check the authority of our law enforcement and our government. I mean, that's what the press is for. But I would like to, speaking of the press, in the coverage of the Randall shooting, the Lewiston Sun Journal did an interesting article where they found the gun shop oh. that, that Dan Randall bought his they, gun. Say, they didn't know. Right. The police yeah. didn't want to say, people didn't know, but the gun owner, the gun shop owner, Joe Simino, seemed to feel that it was okay to talk. He had no problem talking to the press. Mm. And again, Maine has very easy gun laws. You yeah. can go buy a gun. Almost anybody can do it. Mm. I know I'm simplifying again. Well, I think in a, in a rural state, a lot of our listeners probably live in rural, rural, ugh, rural state, rural, <laughs> rural church. <laughs> but a lot of people hunt, or people just like have guns for protection. But the Sun Journal reported that Dan Randall went into Top Gun and told them he wanted to buy a shotgun to teach his son to shoot. He asked advice about the best gun and the best ammo, and he walked out half an hour later with a camouflage-colored Mossberg Youth 500 and nine yeah. rounds of buckshot. Both traditionally used for hunting, Uh. including hunting humans. Uh. Joe Simino, the store clerk who's had 40 years of experience selling guns, he's had a federal license to sell guns for 40 years, according to the Sun Journal, said that the guy was, quote, almost the perfect customer. He and his staff watch potential customers on a host of cameras from the moment they pull into the parking lot. We profile. We're allowed to do that, Simino said. (laughs) We're looking at you, your demeanor, how you're handling yourself. In in fact, last week, two men came in that Simino said, quote, reeked of pot. We threw them out. You're not even supposed to be near that stuff with firearms. But uh, it's hard in Maine because a lot of people reek of pot. And now that it's legal, legal, well, it it wasn't legal when the guy bought. He says, and this is a nice little subnote, yesterday at 515 we had four gentlemen. I love the way people always use gentlemen now. They never say, like, guys. Come in here. They were Middle Eastern. I profiled them. They were were carrying a firearm, an AK-47, the preferred weapon of terrorists. They came in and said, we want to shoot. He turned them away because the range closes at 445. Oh, I... Oh, they had a I, gun range. I looked yeah, left that They up. left here very unhappy, he said. I guess this just shows how great profiling is. Randall, on the other hand, came in he and was, was the perfect, perfect customer. customer. He says, in the case of Randall, unfortunately, the guy didn't have anything that we would even think would lead us to believe like there was, was any kind of Eastern. issue. He was He was white. a middle-aged <laughs> white man. He was like almost the perfect customer if there was such a thing. So he was looking to buy a shotgun for his son, ostensibly, Simino uh. said. Just wanted to teach him that happens all the time in gunshots. He didn't go right up to the wall and say, I want this firearm. He didn't make any decisions, Simino said. He said, well, what do you think? What do you suggest? And what kind of ammunition? Even if he'd said, quote, 
I want this kind of shotgun and this ammunition, would that have triggered anything? No, we're looking for something no, a little bit different. He's white. They're looking for something a little bit different, like being Middle Eastern and having an AK-47. And say we want to shoot. And staff guided him toward the $399 Mossberg. He was there for about half an hour. He never mentioned his military background and never mentioned being a pastor. Well, I don't think being a pastor would have been okay, on their. Okay, I have pro- a question about his military background though, because from what I read, he joined the Air Force Reserves. Late in 2000. Uh, right. 2000s. I don't really consider that. Now, was It's he, not like he was in well, Vietnam. Well, that's the thing. Okay, this is what I have a question about because none of the stories said it. Had he been in the Air Force previously? I, I couldn't find any information uh, that there, he had. It's very unclear. Or if he had just joined the reserves. And that's the other thing I wanted to say. I had a quote from his neighbor, Carol Daggett, the one that found the um, body, his body. Carol Daggett had also been in the military. And he said he thought Randall must have PTSD or was under stress as he had a hard time with eye contact and spoke haltingly. But was he ever in combat? No. First of all, I want to say, quote, he must have had PTSD or problem with stress. I, I always, as a newspaper editor, had issues with reporters who would quote people speculating on whether someone had a certain disorder or not. Because unless you're going to quote a licensed professional saying someone has a disorder, all it does is put information out there that is inaccurate. Your neighbor doesn't know from PTSD. He may. So I found that the use of that quote bothers to me. I would have taken out the PTSD part and left in the part about him not making eye contact and being under stress Mm -hmm. because you're not diagnosing. And I wanted to say, too, about the gun sale... They did a background check, as Maine does, but they didn't know about the rehab, and they didn't know about the military background because, quote-unquote, the FBI doesn't check into that. Hmm. So I'm not, you know, so I think the background check looks at military, criminal criminal history, and maybe if you're Middle Eastern, I don't know. Well, they don't even need that. They can just turn them away because they're allowed to profile. Right. And one quote from the gun shop guy was, Thank God the son wasn't home. Thank God his wife wasn't home. What set this guy off? That's for a power higher than me to figure out. Uh, no, well, I guess no. I'm a power higher than this guy because I can tell you what set him off. He was a nut was a who was able freak. to go buy a gun, was pissed off, and when his wife wasn't there to kill, he apparently killed his daughter instead because and he, then he... And then he wanted to make his wife feel like it was because she wasn't right. there. He had to kill somebody and, and, as her and he, you know, he may have even thought this is better because I'm going to kill my daughter, and now she's going to, my wife is going to feel like shit for the rest of her life. At least in the articles I read, his whole family was estranged. Apparently something was going on that they didn't want to deal with him. The locks had been changed on the house. He had to break in to get... And from all accounts, his wife, Anita, isn't talking to the press. And that's none, her, none of the family is. And that's their right. And yes. I And I fully understand it. But obviously, there was some reason. He was in the 90-day rehab, so he yes. obviously had a drinking yes. his alcohol rehab. But I think there's more to it when they're changing the locks. It's not like, okay, we're sending. He resigned his position in Rhode Island. They moved to Maine. Apparently, his son's attending Hebron Academy. And so that's why they moved to Hebron. It's a prep school. And um, his son's a teenager, and it's his one child with Anita. Yes. Although the other two must be, she must consider them her own. Right, I, I'm not denying that. But I'm um, so so, his family was estranged. But this, I thought this quote was interesting because it kind of ties in with the gun shop guy. How people just go on appearances. And this quote is from the Press Herald's interview with, with Carol, with Carol Daggett. Daggett. Right. He says. 
he seemed to be a very pleasant person, a sort of take charge family type person. Mm. I think he's probably is kind of a control freak, which was, which a lot of people that do things like murder suicide are. They can't control things anymore so that their way of controlling it is to just kill everybody right it, it would have been nice if he had just decided to kill himself on the porch and it's unfortunate his daughter who was a by all accounts a very talented musician wonderful person she was visiting from i think rhode island yes for a couple weeks probably for the holidays or they had just moved to maine so maybe to help her mom settle in or maybe she was there because for emotional support for, for emotional her mom. support because he had he was oh, not a safe guy to be around. Such a horrible story, and and I just feel like you know, fuck you, buddy. If you want to kill yourself, then just do it. Right. Don't freaking take out other people. You know why do they that's have to a, do that? That's a frequent theme. Well, the reason they do that from mass from mass shooters on down to people like him and Stephen Lake who killed his wife and two Ugh. kids and then himself, or Nathaniel Gordon who killed himself after police chased him after he killed his wife in front of his kids chased her down the street in Winslow and a lot of the others the hit parade of wife and child killers the point isn't at first to kill themselves maybe that's an aspect of it maybe Mm -hmm. it isn't but the point is to control exact revenge Mm -hmm. to inflict their crazy horrific worldview on people who loved them enough To probably, in a lot of cases, support and stick with them longer than they should have because they felt that this guy, and in some cases this woman, but mostly this guy, there's something salvageable about this person. I loved this person once. I have children with this person. Is that ever a mistake? Well, apparently sometimes it is, but it's hard to... But even when you do try to get away... Then that, most, that can be your death. That's the most dangerous point. And you know the greatest cause of death for pregnant women is homicide. Ugh. Which makes me once again think of his first wife, Greta, who yes. was six months pregnant. And again, there was no reason to believe that was anything but a bad accident. And that's what people who were around at that point said. Although the Press Herald interviewed the town manager of Cape Elizabeth. And it wasn't clear if he was the town manager then is the town manager now or has been the town manager all along. But in any case, he is one of the ones who pointed out he thought it was weird somebody was picnicking on the 4th of July. And it wasn't a pouring rainstorm or whatever. It was a it was an overcast, rainy day. I don't think that's weird. But he said at the time there didn't seem to be anything, anything really suspicious about it. But yeah. people did think that was strange. But, you know, the main coast is beautiful in the rain. It's beautiful yeah. in the rain, although I would not climb on rocks. But if you're unfamiliar with them, if you're from yeah. away, they look inviting. Yeah. They look flat in a lot of cases. Yeah, they are. They Maybe we can put a picture of some on I've our... I've got some pictures. On our website, like. I have a photo, a screenshot from WCSH, Channel 6, here in Portland, of two lights of people climbing around on the rocks. Oh, you do? Hmm. With a little M set of Dan Randall. But it's obviously not taken from 1993, but those rocks don't change. No. It takes millions of years. They were there before us. But it is a beautiful state park. It's beautiful It is. Beautiful and deadly. Deadly. And another thing about Two Lights that has nothing to do... The ocean is deadly. The celebrity connection is that Betty Davis and her husband Gary Merrill had a house 
they, near they, the Lobster Shack, yes, not near the did. state park, right? Yes, down the road, yes, near Two Lights. I'm told that Lobster Shack has great lobster rolls, but since I hate lobster and lobster rolls, I've never eaten one, but our mom likes them. Yes, and my aunt, my aunt late Franny aunt Franny used to always, like whenever she came to Maine, we had to go there. I'd always get a fish sandwich or a cheeseburger whenever we went there. And I the, never got and anything because the, li- the, the lines were too long and it I'd is, just and be it, like right, fed up. And I was going to say, it's crowded, crowded, crowded with tourists. It probably wasn't on that 4th of July because it was a little rainy out. If they were but there. everybody sits on the rocks and eats yes, they their yes, lobster they rolls and stuff as the seagulls swoop down and try to steal yes. them out of your hand. I like seagulls, though. I, I do, too. They're like the rats of the ocean but only. But they remind they've me of cats. They've they got an attitude. They've they remind a, me of cats They've got a bit. funny attitude. They don't give a shit about it. One time we were at Reed State Park and I bought a cheeseburger and I put it. On the table. We, had, we didn't know the ways of seagulls. We didn't know then. the ways. We were, we were, we from, were from Ohio at the time. So. But I put my cheeseburger down, and then I think I went to uncharacteristically get a napkin. Actually, it's not uncharacteristic because I always remember the napkin after I yeah. start eating and make a mess. And I turned around, and I think one of you guys. We were like, like ah! yeah. And I turned around, there was a seagull flying off of the entire yeah, cheeseburger. Yeah, he must have been like mouth. stoked. You can imagine the he trauma. Was like, you can, you can imagine how upset I was because yeah, I was I, I wanted to eat that cheeseburger, uh, man. Yeah. So that's a recap of three of the, and we don't know the, um, the amount of murders in Maine for 2016. We will, but we'll have a show on it, like in, right. in a few shows. Usually, when that is released in a month or two, the Bangor Daily News runs a list, and also the state website. Runs and it's a list. an interesting. I like an to, interesting I like list. to look at it because it says the says the weapon. It says whether they were acquaintances or family or the the relationship of the victim and and killer, and stuff like that. And it's kind of an interesting thing to and, look at. And when that. When that comes out, we'll we'll do a show on it yeah. and talk a little bit more about Maine and its murders. And I know a lot of our listeners don't live in Maine, but I think the issues... One thing about Maine's low murder rate is I think it really helps focus on issues that lead to the types of murders that are most common yeah. in this country. One of the things that really bothers me is after those, in 2011, the Stephen Lake and Nathaniel Gordon, where two women and two children were Mm. killed in the Waterville area within less than two weeks, everybody was all fired up, and we have to do this, we have to get more men involved in domestic violence programs. And in some cases, up in that area, particularly in Somerset County, which is right north of Waterville, in one of the state's most rural and impoverished counties, Mm -hmm. they've done things like they have an electronic bracelet program, some of it which was funded by the state and some was funded by a uh, fund set up after Amy Lake and her children were killed for for people who are arrested on violent domestic violent charges to wear. Things like that, but it's another case of the roots of this type of thing have to be attacked before I people know, stop. I know, coming. it's like you can try to protect somebody by making the person that's threatening them wear the monitor or Which is a little more effective than a restraining one. Yes, it is much more. It's but at the same time, if someone's hell-bent on killing you... Well, he easily was able to buy a gun. I, I always think of that Simpsons episode where Homer goes to buy a gun and is told there's a three-day waiting period, and he goes... Three days, but I'm not going to be mad. <laughs> I'm not going to be mad anymore. And then it shows him like waiting in his house with the Tom Petty song, The Waiting is the hardest part playing, and like all this stuff is going by him as he's waiting over the three days. And I'm not saying Dan Randall 
would have not done that if he had yes. waited three days, but it certainly would have given his family some time to prepare for the fact that he'd been released from rehab, yes. whether it was on Tuesday or Thursday. He would have had to wait for that gun. Maybe he would have had second thoughts, although he was probably stewing for those 90 days in rehab, just waiting till he could get out so he could go shoot the shit out of his wife or oh, whatever. God. So he probably, three days may not have made a difference. But, but it's little things like that. I don't understand why anybody has a problem with there being a waiting period. I don't either. That this guy walked into a store, within half an hour he walked out with guns and ammo, nothing told the 40-year licensed gun-selling veteran that this guy was a problem, although the guy sent away the Middle Eastern guys, sent away the guys reeking a pot, did not send away the middle-aged, seemingly reasonable white guy who had a good excuse, I'm going to teach my boy how to shoot. So I never buy guns myself. So I'm assuming there's a waiting period on handguns, or there's a there's a more of a maybe why, like why was, he bought a shotgun instead yeah, of a handgun. Maybe it's easier to. I I don't, I, I don't know either. We'll have to ask. We'll have to ask. We'll maybe we can have out. a gun expert on our show out. sometime who can talk about it if we want to get into delve into. But I like uh, talking more about the people aspects of things. Yeah, me too. So we're hoping for a better 2017, I think. Yes. As far as murders uh, go in Maine. Well, yes. Uh, now it's time for ask a lawyer. With Matt Nichols. Hey, Matt. And here he comes okay. now. Hey, Matt. Hi. It's time for Ask a Lawyer. We've got Matt Nichols of Nichols and Churchill in Portland, Maine with us today. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Okay. I'm going to ask a question today. There's often back and forth in big cases whether the defendant will take the stand in his or her own defense. It always seems a double-edged sword and defense attorneys never seem big on it. When it is a good idea and when isn't it? And have you ever seen it backfire or work well? People think, well, if someone's innocent, why don't they talk? Why don't they defend themselves? Right, so the layperson, non-lawyer point of view is anybody who's innocent would want to get up there and tell their side of the story and why would an attorney advise the person not to to be reluctant to advise and and does that have a negative impact on juries who wonder the same thing that thought is antithetical to everything the united states constitution stands for Um, the idea that, well, if you're innocent, why don't you get up there and... And you just said... Hang on a second. Rebecca just said something, and I'm certain the mic didn't pick it up. It wasn't my point. She said, why don't you prove it? That is... uh, And I know you meant that in a rhetorical context, but that is the antithesis of what our Constitution is all about, what our criminal justice system is all about. You know, in this country... The government gets to accuse, whether it's the state of Maine or the federal government. But in our former government, we only trust the government to go so far as to make an accusation because we all know that it's very, very easy to accuse. You don't need much. You need probable cause. That's less than a preponderance of the evidence. That's like getting to the 20-yard line. That's all you need to accuse and potentially ruin someone's life. The burden of proof under our Constitution because the government makes the accusation, the burden of proof is entirely on the state. And the state is held to a very high standard of proof that we call proof beyond a reasonable doubt, what Justice Brennan in, in Ray Winship called the importance of that standard is to ensure that people can have confidence knowing that they can go about their daily lives without their government making them criminals. And that in order to get a criminal conviction, the government 
must convince a proper fact finder, a jury, or a judge of the person's guilt with utmost certainty. To require the defendant or a, any citizen, it could be any one of us who's been accused of committing a crime, accused of being a criminal, branded a criminal, to require us to then go into court to prove we're innocent goes against everything that our Constitution stands for. It's not just our Constitution, it's our moral compass. The state is not allowed to comment on a person's failure to testify. They made the accusation, let them prove the goddamn thing mm -hmm. without making me prove I didn't do it. That's basically what it. That's basically what it's a, all about. There was a. I remember a conviction being overturned because the prosecutors, and you probably know this one, the prosecutor said something. It was about 20 years ago. Like, would you let mm -hmm. this person babysit your child? Right. You remember that one? Was that a main case? Yes, it was. And I even remember who the prosecutor. But I'm not going to say. But it was overturned because of that. Because it's right. Those cases often end up in. Those cases good. often end up not just in being new trials. Those cases often end up in being dismissals based on prosecutorial misconduct, and that's how seriously our main Supreme Court takes that kind of behavior by a prosecutor. That is to say, it is the dismissals are granted in order to deter prosecutors, let alone jurors, from ever, ever even implying that that's the case. I see that frequently it seems like there's confusion when I watch my true crime shows when the defense doesn't even put on a case because they say the prosecution didn't prove their case. And then people in the audience or family members of a, a victim will say, wow, they didn't even put on a case and totally misunderstand it. And do you feel as an attorney, this is, it's really misunderstood where the burden of proof is, that, that people say innocent until proven guilty, and yet nobody really understands they don't mean it, or they don't, yeah, they don't what it, it means. If I can add just a, a follow-up, a real-life follow-up on that. Sure. I often tell jurors, y'all can leave here today thinking Mr. Smith is guilty. Y'all can leave here today thinking that he's probably guilty. But this one day in your lives, as jurors, you've taken an oath. You know, this is a different day in your lives. You've got to judge things differently today than you do when you're going to the grocery store or making your everyday life decisions. You're not watching TV and saying that we all are guilty of doing. Hey, did you see on TV last night they got the guy that did such and such? Right, yeah. Right. If you have any doubt based on reason, not a whimsical doubt, but a doubt based on reason, and you're not convinced with utmost certainty that the person is, Mr. Smith is guilty, then the verdict is not guilty. That's what you'd want for yourselves, your friends, your family, and your fellow citizens, and Mr. Smith is your fellow citizen. And there are times you see really courageous juries that make a very unpopular, you know, vote for times. a very unpopular acquittal. Yes because they took their charge as a jury seriously and just felt there wasn't enough evidence. And well, it's protecting America. all citizens. That's right. No matter what you did, so... Or eat. are accused of doing. Or accused of doing. And okay. Well, okay. thanks, Matt. Thank all right. Yeah, that was... Thanks for setting us all straight. <laughs> we'll see you next week. All right, look forward to it. So it's time for recommendations and reviews. And this week we're going to talk about people who died. Yeah. Who died. Who died. died. If it weren't for copyright infringement, we, we could, could play Jim, Jim Carroll. Carroll. 
They were all my friends. They died. Although these weren't our friends. These were some felt like friends, They're but these were famous, famous people who died. This so we're gonna Pat Harrington Jr. Schneider Schneider on one day at a time. And he must have been in other stuff, right? Yeah. Do you think they would have had that character on a show these days? Because he was kind of sleazy and always going into their apartment uh, with no, these teenage they girls. And he was always trying to get in what's her face's pants. Dave, Bonnie Franklin. David Bowie. Oh, that was uh, David Bowie. Although he had been sick for a while, but mm-hmm. I don't think he told anybody. Oh. Renee Angelelle. Oh, Celine Dion. Celine Dion's husband. husband. The smoking. And I always thought it was weird how young she was when he first started pursuing her. No, he didn't pursue her. She pursued him. Yeah, she was like 12. 12 year old no, girls he pursue didn't. all sorts of people. No, she didn't. She was an adult when they got together. All right. He was not. In, he didn't, wasn't interested okay. in her. Alan Rickman, who lots of people the know, great British actor. Yes, and I know he's I know known he was Snape, but um, I know he was a Harry Potter guy. But yes. there were since I didn't watch any of those, there were other movies that yes. I liked him in. I liked him. Dan Haggerty, Grizzly, Grizzly Adams. Adams. And I don't think he more. was ever in anything else. I don't know. I can't remember. Glenn Frey. Fry. Fry. What I always think of... Um, Smuggler's Blues. Yeah. I always think of a Smuggler's It's funny. Blues. I, I kind of liked the Miami Eagles. Vice. Remember Can when we were, you know, like when I was in college, you were a little younger. This. Becky just opened a Diet Coke, FYI. Yeah. That's the sound you hear in the background. Okay. Everybody had that album, you know, with the skull of the... Yeah, the Eagles, the greatest hits, yes. Oh, yeah, the greatest hits. I, there's some of their songs I kind of liked, but I never liked Glenn Fry that much. I never liked uh, Abe Vigoda oh, died. Finally. So now that whole thing about the whole Abe Vigoda phenomenon where you say, oh, I thought that person was dead and they weren't, and Abe Vigoda was always used. They and that's called him like, the sad-eyed, his leathery sad-eyed. He does have and, big eyes. And, and he, was in the, he was in The Godfather, right? Right, and Barney Miller. And so there were two Barney Miller people who died. Yes, we'll get to him later. Okay. Paul Kantner from Jefferson Airplane. Responsible for one of the worst songs we ever built written. built the city we on built Rock and Roll. This city, yeah. Dave Mira, a BMX racing. He was a BMX racing bike legend, but mm-hmm. since I know nothing. I guess you had to be in the BMX I mean, racing sorry, bike world. Dead, but and we're reading this, by the way, from whose list? NBC say News. NBC's list, yeah. Edgar Mitchell, Apollo 14 astronaut. The Sixth Man on the Moon. You only remember the first one. And he and Alan Shepard helped NASA recover from Apollo's 13 successful, in air quotes, successful failure. Successful failure. And Alan Shepard, Derry, New Hampshire native. Antonin Scalia. Ugh. Well, I can't say that. I mean, I'm sorry the man's gone, but... George Gaines, who portrayed the irritable foster parent on the 80s sitcom, Punky Brewster. And I would have been irritable if I had to hang around Punky Brewster, too. Now she's like some kind of new age mom. She, her kids thing. have really weird names. She's like, he was also in air, the airplane movies. Oh, yes, he was in the airplane funny. movies. Yeah. And he was in Tootsie. Right. Uh, that's right. He was. He had a crush on Tootsie. I mean, he was in Police Academy movies, not Airplane. I get those mixed oh, up. Oh, yeah. They're same. Harper Lee. Harper Lee. Author of one uh, of the best the books. The best book ever. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah. And also another author, Umberto Echo. And, you know, I'm going in chronological order. Sorry. We're in February now. I think we already mentioned chronological Yeah, yeah but I didn't say he wrote The Name of the Rose. Yes, Which did. they made a not very good and movie. he wrote some scientific type books. With Sean too. Connery. Pat yeah. Conroy, wonderful author, The Great Santini. Yeah. Prince of Tides. I've read many, many of, of his, his books. And the way I 
first became familiar with the great Santini, with Pat Conroy, is Liz, our older sister, and I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark when it first came out at that twin cinema they had for a while in Augusta on down State Street. On, yeah, down Cat's Pizza. Right, where oh, the DMV with Lums is. at the time, remember? Lums. Lums used to uh, be down there. Raiders of the Lost Ark was sold out, so this movie playing in the other theater, The Great Santini, we said, we're down here, we might as well go see this movie. And we thought it was about the circus or something. There I don't was know. A tiger but it was good. Right? It was really, really good. I read the book. I don't think the I tiger was in Prince of Tides. It wasn't in oh, the Great okay. Santini. The Great Santini was about the, the, the teenage father, boy and yes. the jerky father. Nancy Reagan. Mm-hmm. That's right. And she I died March. I would have. If somebody had asked me, I would have already guessed she was dead. Wow. Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Palmer. Yeah. March 11th. And as I was saying to you, welcome back, my friends, to the show mm. that never ends. And then the other one of those is, what a lucky man. Yes, he was. Bob Ebeling, 89, the booster rocket engineer who spent decades filled with guilt over not stopping the explosion of the space shuttle Challenger. Yep, which happened December 28th, 1986. We just passed the... We were just talking about... The anniversary of that. Someone was saying, do you... Someone Someone on Facebook was saying, well, most people that claim to remember seeing it live didn't. Oh, well, I, I did, did, because I remember I was got up, I had afternoon classes, I was in college, and I was in my apartment on Cumberland Avenue, and I turned to watch the new news, and Patsy Wiggins was anchoring, and I was like, oh God, that space shuttle thing, they're going to show that now, because there was some show I like, like game show or something. No, I I'm thinking it was a soap opera you wanted to watch. Perhaps no, all my children. No, I never. No. Okay. No, that's not at one. This right. was at this was like at eleven something in the morning. So and it happened, and I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" I know. Well, I was it? working for the Haverhill Gazette in Haverhill, Massachusetts, which was an afternoon paper. So our morning deadline had passed. I went home to eat lunch. I made a tomato and cheese sandwich. I remember it was a very cold day. I turned on the TV. I said, oh, a shuttle launch, I might as well watch it. And mostly mm-hmm. I was interested because Krista McAuliffe, the New Hampshire teacher, was the first teacher in space and was on it. And as I'm watching it, I thought, is it supposed to look like that? Because remember how the smoke yes, was all yes. curly cue. And my second thought was, well, I better get back to work. And we had to redo the first, you know, redo the paper. And I didn't work yet for the New Hampshire Union Leader, which I later that year went to work for and worked for 25 years. But the next day, their entire front section was that they had a reporter down in Florida for the shuttle launch who had followed Krista McAuliffe from her, from when she was first chosen, or even before she was first chosen. That's true. And they did a fantastic job of the local coverage. It was January 28th. Or 1986. We spent a long time on that guy whose name I, now Bob Eberling, who apparently spent the last 30 years... Rob Ford, mayor of Toronto. Pugnacious, populist mayor. And he was kind of funny. I always felt kind of bad for him. His career crashed in a drug-driven, obscenity-laced debacle. (laughs) I always felt kind of bad for him. I felt like he... He seemed like a guy. Joe Garagiola. Baseball is a funny game. I read a book by him. Oh, Gary Shanley. Oh, he was so funny. I used to love that show, the Gary Shanley show, and the guy I dated at the time. 
Joe. He used to watch it with me. It's but the kind of humor you have to. It's he very low understand key. Understand why I laugh so hard. And at the it. Larry Sanders show I also liked, yes. and it was a low key kind of humor that. Mother Mary Angelica, who like mm-hmm. spent like twenty four hours a day on. She was TV. Autom- an automatic click through. <laughs> we know now she's in she heaven. She God was. isn't clicking Even through. Even though she was an automatic click through, I always I know who she is. She seemed very kind. Yeah. Patty Duke. Oh yeah, but their cousins. I I read her autobiography after (laughs) she died, and it was an interesting read. Okay, so Eric Bowersfeld. I'm just laughing because they've. He's the one that wrote, uh, or that said in Star Wars said it's a trap. It's a trap, but it's just funny because you wouldn't recognize him because he has a photo because he had a funny head, but. Since this is a video audio. <laughs> Merle Haggard. Love Merle. He died on April 6th. David Guest, Eliza Minnelli's one-time husband, who has he always like looked weird. tons and tons of plastic surgery. Yeah, and he was a strange-looking like, look like dude. A poor Liza. Poor Liza. <laughs> couldn't you get a better guy? And no, Liza was very talented. She was so funny in Arrested Development. Remember in yeah, Arrested yeah, Development? Yeah, she was. But she, she was, had issues with men. I know. You know. Why? Bless Was, the advertising legend behind the Mr. Softy jingle heard in hundreds of ice cream trucks. So wait, he wrote Turkey in the Straw? I know. It's like the only ones I hear are like the Scott Joplin, the Sting, or Turkey in the Straw. No, Marvin Hamlish. Oh, Marvin Hamlish. The the theme song to the Sting. Yeah. Or the Turkey in the Straw. I actually explore that whole yeah, the turkey in the straw versus yes, the snake in my first mystery novel. Cold so Partners. I don't get that. I don't get that either. I'd have to hear the Mister Softy jingle to yes. to recognize it. Well, China. China. The, she was she ripped. was a muscle bound raven hair. The only thing I remember, I saw her on some weird reality show where a bunch of people, including Vern Troyer, the little dwarf guy lived in a house together, and she was always drunk. Mm, poor China. Prince. Oh, Prince. Prince. Yeah, he was Prince. definitely our era and a part of the sound, I hate this phrase, but I'm going to say it, part of the soundtrack of our He lives. was. He Such was. Such a shame our friendship has Michelle McNamara, who was a true crime writer and the wife of Patton Oswalt. And that was kind of a tragic death. I think it was It was very tragic. Just an unexpected. And it was. She's fairly young, like under 40. And, and you have to love Patton Oswalt. So by connection, you love his wife, too. He's a, he's a great, by the way, he's great on Twitter and he was fantastic and Justified. Absolutely fantastic ah. role in Justified. So Isabel Denora, she was the face transplant. You know, I always I always felt worse for the chimp. And she <laughs> is not the one. She is not the one who the chimp oh. ripped off. Oh. A dog attacked her oh, face. A dog. Well, then I feel she bad for French. the dog. The chimp woman is... Was Connecticut. Connecticut. I think There's always died. a Connecticut angle. Poor yeah, chimp. she did. I feel bad for the animals in cases like that. Billy um, Paul... Me and Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Mrs. Remember, Jones. we were at it was it was at least twenty years ago. We were I don't know what we were doing, but we were at a bar where they had karaoke and some guy was singing, singing that. And then we were telling we were telling my friend uh, your Leo. friend Leo about something else that happened, and we said when that guy was singing <laughs> Mrs. Me Jones. And Mrs. Jones, and he's like someone was singing me and Mrs. Jones to karaoke. He was shocked by that. He was shocked, and we almost remember that as much as we remember that I somebody know. actually was singing. Mrs. It Jones? is kind of a difficult it's, song. It's one of those songs that sometimes when they need a pop song to act as kind of a porn song, yes. usually played ironically. Mrs. Jones, Mrs. So Jones. So on May 2nd, Tupac Shakur's mom died. Oh, that's too bad. Afini Shakur Davis, she was a Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane Little, 87, 
And Never she, heard of her. She was under five feet tall, and her name was Li- Jane Little. It sounds almost like fake. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah, funny. was a bassist for 71 years, so from the time she was 16 to 87, apparently. She played the bass nonstop. No, no nonstop. she died. <laughs> <laughs> Guy Clark, you know him. Yes. L.A. Freeway. One of my favorite songs. Yes, I know, by the great because one time it kept playing over and over in your car. One of, it, it's sung by the great Jerry Jeff Walker, but... Yes. Guy Clark's version was good too. He also wrote that song Linda Ronstadt made famous long, long time. Oh yeah. Like, I'm gonna love He's it. Very it's very, Morley, one of the best songwriters a lot of people have never heard of. Yes, that's true. Morley Safer, sixty minutes, eighty four. He died May nineteen. I like Morley. Yeah, I did too. He's Alan a, Young. Do you know who he is? Morley was Will Canadian. <laughs> I just wanted to point out Morley was Canadian, so you know that made him instantly likable. Well, he always looked to like nice. Except looking. for that's not true. He has Rob a very Ford. nice face. So I kind of like Rob Ford. I know. I feel bad for him. Alan okay. Young, Wilbur, Wilbur. Mr. He Red. was the, he was amiable straight man to the horse. Which I think you'd have to be amiable if you were straight man to a I horse. I always loved that show. Or really pissed off. I mean, obviously, I didn't watch it when it was first on, but they had reruns all the time. And yeah, Wilbur. I, I couldn't have run for very long. No. But it yeah it goes down in history because it's so silly. Muhammad Ali. Oh, Muhammad. He was the greatest. And he had some good quotes. He truly was. Kimbo Slice, a bearded street fighter. Who looks a little like Isaac Hayes. Yes, a really like rugged, like scary Isaac Hayes. Oh, he did mixed martial arts, remember how we were making fun of that? Yes. Kicking and slapping. Yes, because that guy that... So he died June 6th. Teresa Saldana. Mm. And she was only 61. Raging Bull. And she, remember, she was attacked by a stalker. Right. And we should do a celebrity attack by a stalker show. Remember how Rebecca Schaefer, yes, Rebecca Schaefer was killed by a stalker. Right. So. Gordy Howe, Mr. Hockey. One of the best hockey players ever. 88. Not, a, not, as, good as, not as good as number four and or Bobby Orr. he was Canadian, Orr. too. Yes, oh, he was. They all were back then. Christina Grimmie. I don't watch The Voice, but she was a poor girl that a uh, stalker killed her. Wow. Shot her. So that's kind of a, become a theme. Anton Yelkin, who played Chekhov on the newer Star Trek movies. I always think of Walter Koenig as yes. being Chekhov. Although this guy's better looking than Walter yes. Koenig. Um, he doesn't have a queer wig on. He's like, got that curly hair. But I think he com- did he commit suicide? I, I think he say. did, yes. That's sad. June 19th. Pat Summit, oh, the winningest love- coach. In Division One college basketball Didn't she history. she have Alzheimer's? She had some kind of dementia. Oh, the poor woman. And, by the way, that's winningest coach, not winningest female coach or winningest She's coach. She's the winningest coach, coach. motherfucker. I always liked her a lot. She kicked ass, man. Gary Marshall, uh, July 19th, and we know. TV producer, Laverne director. Shirley, Mork and Mindy, Happy, Happy Days. Happy yeah. Days, Pretty Woman. He gave us all that. I, I hate Pretty Woman, but I will say one of my favorite Gary Marshall things is his role as the casino owner in one of my favorite movies, Lost <coughs> in America, the scene where Albert Brooks yes. tries to talk him into giving him the money back yeah. that his wife lost, and yes. the Albert Brooks' wife and lost. And he's a nice guy, and I like his sister Penny. Yeah, and they're funny as hell. Miss Cleo died. Lots of she let's was only fifty three. Let, let's just cue all the jokes about you know Why psychic, didn't she know? right? Oh, she was the actress. 
she was an actress who became famous for playing the Jamaican psychic Miss Cleo. Hey, it's a job. Right. You know? Hey. Well, I didn't know she was that young. Nice work if you can get it. Kenny Baker, who played R2-D2. Another Star Wars-related death. Who was also, like, how would you even know? And, like, okay, he played R2-D2, but R2-D2 did not speak and was a robot. So he was inside the thing. Right. Uh, Is that acting? John McLaughlin. John McLaughlin died August 16th. And I liked, I used to like that show. Yeah. I liked it. He he Name the show you're talking about. The McLaughlin group. Yes. With uh, Eleanor um, Clift, who was actually Montgomery Cliff's sister-in-law. Did you right. know that? I did not know that. If I did, I forgot. He used to have like little nicknames for people and stuff. He, he just cracked me yeah, up. Yeah, he was funny. He didn't take himself too seriously. He, Lou Pearlman, gross. He was the mogul who launched uh, Bastard uh, Boys and Instinct. Yeah. And there's also, I believe, a closet pedophile. I don't yeah, know. I would he say. He died August 19th. I mean, nothing like disparaging a dead person. No, but, but you that's know. what you're doing. Stephen Hill, who played the uh, DA on Law and Order. Law and Order for a long time. Mm-hmm. They called him grumpy. He wasn't really grumpy. I, I, I'm not really a Law and Order. I used to be obsessed with that show, Route 66. And he was on a lot of those in the 60s. Right. He's one of those character actors that you'd recognize. Nice looking guy when he was younger. Gene Wilder. Uh, He died August 28th. He was so funny. A lot of people know him from Willy Wonka, but... um, Uh, That's not the first thing I think of. But the producer... I think of Young Frankenstein. Yeah, that's what I think of. And Blazing Saddle. John Polito. I always liked him. Character actor again. Homicide Life on the Street is what I know him from, but also he was in a lot. Uh, he was in Family. He was in a lot of Coen Brothers movies. The big movies. Lebowski. Lebowski. Yeah, he was in one of those guys that's in a lot of stuff. He's in a lot. He had a raspy voice. Yeah. Um, he was actually in. You know what? He was in Kurt movie on Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls. That's right. He was. That's funny. Phyllis Schlafly. Yep. September 5th. I she, won't miss her. I won't uh, miss her 92. at all. Was set back women. She didn't like generation. Women. She was a self-hating woman. Right. Who who actually uh, was allowed to be successful, though she wanted to keep other women down. I know. That's yep. the worst kind. Lady, Lady Chablis. Who would not be kept down. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and she played herself because there's nobody else that could do it right, in the movie. Right. And I never saw the movie, but I it, don't see how you can make it. The book was better. Yeah, you can't make it better. He couldn't make Kevin Spacey was in that, and it was before my anti-Kevin Spacey feelings. I like Kevin Spacey, but there's something so that bothered me. Yeah, I think that's. Oh, you know what? It, and it wasn't his fault, but I hated the movie, The Shipping News, so much. Mm. It was so different from the book, and he was in that that I it, I think it turned me against. Sorry, him. Kevin. It's not like a Harvey Keitel th- thing hatred, but it's poor Harvey. I know. Even though I um, think Greta Zimmer Friedman. She was the woman in the iconic photo of that sailor grabbing a woman he doesn't even know and kissing her. Yeah. I guess back in the fort. I mean, okay. It's okay I'm now saying. too. Look at. It her. is a good photograph. Yeah. Yeah, and there was some controversy over who that woman actually was. Some people claimed to be her, but then that it was we, finally they determined. just recently, Alexis Arquette. One of the Arquette oh, no. family. Oh, maybe she changed it. Pioneering transgender actress. Yes. Although I never saw her in anything. And it's funny, like, Sister the family. David and... Um, David and Roseanne, Roseanne and Patricia. It was weird because the statement from the family, the gender was, sometimes it was he, sometimes it was yeah, she. Yeah, maybe they weren't all on top of the... Edward, Edward Albee. Pulitzer Prize winner. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which yeah. I actually liked that reading it but it was also one of those places the movies made me just got me agitated I, I after a while i it was they were i, I wanted much. just them to calm down kurt hansen who won a screenwriting oscar for la confidential 
good movie. And directed the psychological, th- The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Yeah, That's one with so Rebecca DeMornay, yeah, I think. it was. And L.A. Confidential is actually, I think, one of the first movies I saw Russell Crowe in, I have to say. Oh, interesting. I, I was impre- and Eminem, I, was I did actually see the movie Eight Mile. Oh. With Eminem. And actually, it wasn't like that. Eminem. It was kind of a dumb movie. Yeah. Arnold Palmer, 87. Yeah, I always liked Arnie. Uh, he was pretty good. And Arnold Palmer, they drink. Mm, yeah, the lemonade mixed lemonade with and iced, iced tea. tea. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on. Oh, Janet Reno. Janet Reno. The poor, you know, Janet she died Reno November was a great, she was, great woman yeah. and never got credit. She had a lot of rough, She had a lot of crap. She started with Waco and ended uh, yeah. with Ilion Gonzalez. Uh, yeah, and she got a lot. And, you know, one thing that always bugged me is people were more focused on her gawky looks yes. than what a brilliant yes, mind she was. they really were. Leonard, Leonard Cohen. Cohen. Another part of the soundtrack of our young lives. I know. But he had a long, fairly long way. Robert, Robert Vaughn. Loved Man from Uncle. Vaughn. And I still think of Robert Vaughn a lot because he's on the Joe Bornstein commercials. Yes, he is. He's never met Robert Vaughn. I don't know Vaughn. if Joe Bornstein is even a real person. Joe Bornstein, yes, he is. Bornstein. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I saw him one day. I had seen a picture of him. Leon Russell. Leon Russell. Now, Leon Russell and Leonard Cohen, for some reason, sometimes he was I get awesome. Them mixed Concert up. for Bangladesh. Yeah. Right. Glenn Ifo. That's yeah. sad. Florence, Florence Henderson, also That's a good singer. And died November 24th. And she has a very interesting life like, story. She Mrs. was Brady. born in poverty, I guess. She Fidel Castro died on the same day, November 24th. Wow. And I thought he would never die. I know. He's another one that's like, wow, he's just hanging on. But he's someone, you kind of, I don't know, mm-hmm. have a mixed feelings around. Ron Glass, also Barney Our Miller. Our second Barney Harris. Miller death of the year. A lot of Play people Harris. know him from that show, sci-fi show, Firefly, which see. Nate and Fillion was in that too. Right. But see, I don't know anything. See, I never watched that, but I did watch Barney Miller Barney over Miller. Grant Tinker. Mary Tyler Moore's husband. Yes. When at the time of the Mary Tyler Moore show. And, and he, he also, Hill Street Blues, yes. which was an awesome show that I loved. But then when you watch it now, it's kind of dated. It's very dated. Yeah. And Greg Lake from Emerson, Blake the and Palmer. Second. And King Crimson. What a lucky man he was. Uh, he was 69. Yeah. So that was yeah. December 7th. So the end of the year. John Glenn, December Love 8th. John Glenn. Oh, and he was old, though, 95. Well, Joseph Mascalo, 87, who played Stefano, Stefano on Days of Our Even lives. though I hardly ever watched Days, I know who Stefano I would, is. I would have known him the minute, yeah. Stefano. So it's funny how soap operas just kind of seep into your. I know. So E.R. Braithwaite was a hundred and four, and he, he wrote was to Sir the guest. Yes, um, he's. Which I always think of the Lulu. Well, no, it was about him. So it inspired the inspired bestseller, the bestseller to Sir with Love. And he looks, you know, who he looks played like by a handsome Sidney Poitier. And, but this picture, he looks like the guy that played Martin Luther King in the that actor. recent movie. And Zsa Gabor. Not to be confused with Eva. Yes. And she, she also remember when she was in jail? She slapped, she slapped the cop. Yeah, <laughs> good for her. You go, Jaja. Don't you know who I am? She was married nine times. Wow. You'd think after one or two, you'd just say. I don't think she cared. George Michael. Oh, George Michael. I wasn't surprised when he finally came out as gay. I oh, think he no. helped a lot of gay youth. I always thought he was gay anyway, not that it really matters, but I remember that. I remember someone I worked with loved him and mm. thought he was sexy, and I'm like, mm. isn't he gay? And no. she's like, no, he's not gay, and I'm like, are you sure? Uh. And I, not that I have, I never really I loved never... Wham's, but in retrospect, I liked the music better than I did at the time. Right. Some of his songs. I didn't like that one father figure. That was creepy. Yeah. But, like, um, I like that song, Faith. But he's not my taste as far as sexiness goes. Carrie Fisher. 
She was only 60. And everybody has to bring up the whole Princess Leah thing, but I remember her more as just funny as shit. Funny. And she was on 30 Rock. She was funny as hell on She that. was on and the show. And Postcards from the Edge, a good book. Catastrophe is the most recent thing I saw her on, which is on, I think, on Amazon. She plays the American guy and it's mom, and she was pretty funny in that. I love the way she she always confronted her problems honestly with a lot of humor. Her mom, Debbie Reynolds. Next day, died Debbie. Next day. And That's sad. And they had kind of a had complicated a re- relationship. A com- but, they, but you could tell they cared by for By the time other. they, they they were both older. They worked it out. Yeah. William Christopher. Yeah. If he yep. played the chaplain on MASH, Father Mulcahy. Whatever else he was in, he kind of owned that character. Yeah. So those are the people who died in 2016. I was sad, you know, but every time it's just kind of like you go through the year and you're like, oh, that's right. And then it's it actually kind of a walk back through your life is how you knew these people. I but, know. I know. But we should probably wrap things up. Yeah. For this week, yeah, our first podcast of 2017. Yeah, here we are to talk. And it on. was our what is it? Our number six. We didn't number say. seven. Wow, lucky seven. Right, number six was Jean Benet Ramsey. Oh, that's right, Jean week. Benet. You can find us <laughs> on our website, crimeandstuffonline.com, Crime where you can and stuff where you can find information on. Um, uh, subscribing on yes. iTunes and Android. You can, li- you can listen on our website, or if you have iTunes. Please subscribe. Or Android. Or Android. And you can find ways to subscribe on our website. Or you can listen on our website. If you listen on iTunes, please review and rate us. Yes, please. You can also donate to help us keep this going. But as I've said before, if you don't donate, we won't stop. No. And you can donate either through the donate button on our website, a one-time donation, or through Patreon, Patreon. where you can become um, monthly for a very small amount. And you can go on our site to see the different levels and what you get if you donate. And we have a Facebook page. Crime and Stuff. Crime and Stuff with the ampersand. And a Twitter account. account. Crime and Stuff with and, not an ampersand. You can also check out my mystery novels at MaureenMilliken.com. Yes. I'm working on the third one. The third one's going to be coming out probably this spring, probably, if you're on schedule. I'm like every trying, kind you know, of every spring. I have a deadline with up. my publisher, and I'm... And they're very, very good. It's bearing down. Thank you for saying that. Thank Lots you. of well-known main writers like them. They do. Even someone... No, I'm just, I was going to say Stephen King likes it, but that would be no, a lie. No, that would be a lie. He might we like don't it, know though. He, just he might have read it and liked it. It's true. He, he could have easily. He could have. I'm just saying. So until okay, next anyways. week, that's... I think that's all, right? Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, oh, what's his name? The one, the kind of condescending, I'm better than everyone, let's save Walden Pond. What was the name what of the other guy in the Eagles? About? Oh, the one that, that said the Boys, Boys of, of Summer. Summer. Didn't he die, too? I can't remember. What was his name? I, the I, one that wrote the Sunset Grill, right. too. Let's go um, down to the Sunset I don't know. I anyway, can't remember his name. But so I like their you song. You may have to edit that whole thing out, then, yeah. since I can't remember his fucking name.